Hello, and welcome to On Staging, a community theater-focused discussion podcast highlighting the development and staging of community theater productions in Calgary and the surrounding area. I'm your host, Kyle Gould, and today I am delighted to have the opportunity to speak with Robin McKittrick and Mandy Fusaro-Smith with Nose Creek Players about their forthcoming production of The Pink Unicorn. Robin is the president of Nose Creek Players and the director of The Pink Unicorn, presented in Airdrie June 16th, 17th, and 18th. Mandy is the vice president of Nose Creek Players and is the star of this one-woman show that is The Pink Unicorn. Friends of Calgary Acts would happen to know these names of Robin and Mandy and Nose Creek Players from their seven-time Cat Award-nominated production of Frankenstein in 2019, as well as the company, Mandy's, and Robin's recognitions from the Alberta Regional One-Act Festival in 2013, going back a decade. Nose Creek Players, I have written here, was founded in 2011, uh, but that, I found out in our initial prelim discussion, is not entirely true. So, could you tell us that story there as you both kind of tell us what the story of your journey to community theatre has been? Thank you for having us, Kyle. It's Absolutely. wonderful to be here and chat about something we're both very passionate about. So, oh, back in the days of yore, after I first moved to Airdrie, I was looking for a, a creative outlet. So, I auditioned for a murder mystery play with a company called Airdrie Little Theater. And I did a show with them. It was wonderful to to be able to get back on stage and something that I that had been a really important part of my life for years and years. And while I focused on my career, I stepped a little bit away from. What happened was the following season, we were going to do another show, but partway through the rehearsal process, there was a change in the city's not-for-profit policies, and Airdrie Little Theatre ended up folding. There was a, a small handful of us that were in the show and had just found that creative outlet and didn't want to let it go, so we started Nose Creek Players, and <laughs> we had zero dollars. So we <laughs> rehearsed in fields, in basements, in some sketchy places. I had to one time go to urgent care to get a tetanus shot after stepping on a nail during rehearsal. We performed in basements, in fields, wherever we could, and just kept plugging along un until we were able to uh, do shows now. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And why is it called Nose Creek Players? It's funny. There was there was a lot of conversation around what the name might be. And uh, uh, there was some initial conversation about calling it something like Phoenix Players or something <laughs> as we rose from the ashes. But we went with Nose Creek Players because we were proud of being from Airdrie. And Nose Creek is an important geographical location in Airdrie and Nose Creek Park. And we had rehearsed quite a bit in the park. So we thought it was apropos. Also the fields. I can just picture that too. Mm -hmm. And all the strangers walking by, walking their dogs. Mm -hmm. Well, my brother loved when we uh, used to perform in fields because <laughs> he's not a, a real theater aficionado. He, he's a big supporter and would come see my shows. And he loved when they were in fields because he could stand way back in the field and hack a dart <laughs> <laughs> and mandy how'd you come to be essentially here today what got your start 
Yeah, so I think I joined Nose Creek Players, kind of same reason as Robin. I'd moved to Airdrie and was looking for a way to be involved back in the arts. I did it back in high school. And so when I joined Nose Creek Players, I, I think it was in 2013, mm-hmm. auditioned for a play and eventually got onto the board. And then I was also a part of the rehearsing in basements and in fields and, you know, just kind of have seen Nose Creek Players kind of grow what it is today and just still very proud of where we came from and where we're going and the work that puts in. And so it's a, yeah, we're just like a little family now and mm-hmm. I appreciate the relationships that we've made and where we've come. You've done a lot of shows. A lot of shows, yeah. And I think what I appreciate about Nose Creek Players is we give people opportunities. So, you know, even if you start as an actor and you want to try something different. And so I started as an actor and then got into directing and it's something I'd never done before. And then, yeah. So I think we're all about giving people opportunities to to expand where they want to go to. It's the really beautiful part about our productions. And I think most productions in community theaters, because you have people that have maybe a vast background in, in performing arts, but you also have people that are just looking for something different, something to get them out of the house in the evening and, you know, a reprieve from their kids or yeah. the day to day. Right. So our, our last production, for instance, Alice in Wonderland, we had people that were veterans, so to speak, of being on stage with Nose Creek players and also people that have never done it before. Um, and it's just a really nice collective energy and to create and you have these fresh ideas and just a the real one of the hallmarks, I think, of community theater. Yeah. Creating a community, which is what mm-hmm. we always talk about. It's a beautiful community. So let's talk about The Pink Unicorn by Elise Fourier Edie. Mm-hmm. I believe that's how you say her name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. This is a story. And I, you know, let's be honest, every one person show is a story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It usually is. So before we get into like why you picked it, where it comes from for you, what was the struggle and what was your development process looking like? Let's talk about what this show is about and and where it came from. Mm -hmm. So in Calgary specific terms in 2019, Lunchbox Theater put on the show. And there's a great review on it that's still up on the Calgary Herald uh, website from Louis B. Hobson. But it also has this rare follow-up interview between Hobson and the playwright. Mm -hmm. And in Hobson's review, he says, When the internet doesn't give Trisha Lee the answers she seeks about gender fluidity, she decides to seek the advice of her pastor. But before she can, the man delivers a huge anti-gay diatribe at the Sunday service. This legitimately happened to the playwright. And what prompted all of this to happen. Hobson goes on to say things become even worse when Jolene and several of her friends try to create a gay straight alliance at their school only to incur the wrath of their principal. And before she knows it, Trisha Lee is caught in the middle of protests that attract national coverage. What could have been pretty heady stuff for a lunch hour play is made easily accessible because Trisha Lee is a lovely, flawed crusader. She's no saintly Joan of Arc, but a woman deeply at odds with her own beliefs and faiths who has no filters when she explains her feelings. The interview has this beautiful description of the events taking us from inspiration to formal production. And Edie puts it together really beautifully saying, after I finished writing The Pink Unicorn, I was convinced if anyone put it on in their local theater, they would be tarred, feathered, and run out of town. It's so offensive on so many levels because it is so very honest. It's very much my own story, says Edie. My child is genderqueer, and I'm a Christian, and it all started for me on what should have been a normal Sunday in the small town where we were living. The pastor at my church gave a sermon in which she said genderqueer and people from the gay community would never be welcome in our church. 
I trusted my pastor and could not believe she would say something like this. I knew instantly I could never be part of a church that would not welcome my child or anyone else's child. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I tried so desperately to understand what these people were so afraid of. I wanted to have empathy with my neighbors who harbored such beliefs and prejudices. So I wrote a play, which is like very much the playwright thing. I feel like that's exactly what like Dan Gibbons of local Mm -hmm. Calgary playwright accord would say as well. Like, oh, I felt these emotions. So I wrote about it. (laughs) (laughs) When I finished The Pink Unicorn, I liked what I had written. But I believed theater companies would shy away from it, and I didn't think it deserved to be hidden away in a desk drawer. So I decided to do it myself, which I think is also really in the the heart and spirit of community theater. So she memorized the script and in 2013 brought it to the United Solo Festival in New York. Not only was I not tarred and feathered, but I won Best Storyteller and my play was selected for publication. But I honestly believed that would be as far as it would get. And then... Like, go Alberta. Like, I have to say this before because it's coming right up. Trevor Schmidt, the artistic director of Edmonton's Northern Light Theater. They're both nodding, gentle listener. (laughs) Both of them know this story so very well already. That makes me very happy. Like, you've done your homework. Northern Light Theater asked for the rights to the show for his 2015 season of gender-questioning plays. And Edie says, I've never met the man, but I love him because once Trevor produced the play, to also rave reviews. Other companies in Canada produced it, and it went viral in the US, and it's being done everywhere. So this is the pedigree that brings us to your entry, your foray into The Pink Unicorn. What was the process like bringing this production up with Nose Creek players? You know, sometimes when you read something, you get a little bit of a, a, a feeling in your chest, like something's stuck in your throat. And it's, you're like, what is that? I haven't eaten anything. And then you're like, oh, that's emotion. Um, <laughs> so, for, for me, when I first encountered this script, that's, that's what, what happened is I, I just became overwhelmed with emotion. It's something that really resonates with me and the playwright's story really resonates as well because I'm a parent of a genderqueer child. So just that uh, that entire journey and, uh, and the worries that a parent feels and that all just really settled onto my shoulders and was constantly whispering and saying, you know, this is something that Nose Creek players should do. Mm-hmm. I've always felt that good theater provokes and that, you know, it can provoke conversation it can provoke change it can provoke a a sense of good times and rosy mirth but i feel very strongly that nose creek players can do a multitude of things uh we can bring theater to the community of airdrie and we can entertain and for those people that you know it's their their first experience with performing arts or or theater you know we we have family oriented shows that uh, can bring people to the theater but we've also throughout our history have produced art that has been provocative and that has had people ask questions and have conversations, discussions. And a couple of years ago, we produced the the Laramie Project and we did that with Airdrie Pride. And, and it was just such a wonderful collaborative experience to work with these just champions for community, champions for people. So we thought, you know, this is this is another story that we can tell and, and we can once again partner up with Airdrie Pride and have them help us to to tell this story. So, you know, we, we brought it to our board of directors and, and when did that it. happen? You know, it's interesting. We <laughs> we started talking about this a little bit before COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, of course, the pandy 
um, you know, <laughs> reared its head and, and made for some, some change. So it kind of got put on the back burner a little bit, but it was, again, it was that had settled mm-hmm. on my shoulder and kept kind of just whispering. So we brought it up again and thought that it would be a wonderful part of this season. So when did that happen? When did you bring it up for this season to say, you know what? Okay, it's finally time because sounds like you read it 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. or was it 2019 when Lunchbox did it? When did you first encounter and react and read Pink Unicorn? It was when uh, Lunchbox did it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Did you go see the one done by Lunchbox? No, I didn't. Oh, that's uh, too bad. It wasn't until after and I was reading uh, all of the reviews, the and reviews, and the like, recorded. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Last year when we decided upon the season for this year we decided to do it and it ended up being because we thought we want to certainly uh, collaborate with pride and we're like well this is a great show to do during yeah pride month but we also have a long-standing agreement with Burt church live theater to be part of their family series and so we have a show at the end of may so we were like oh well we can do it. <laughs> you doubled up. We doubled up. So you went to the board. I don't mm-hmm. know, like, because you're generally on the board as mm-hmm. well. So how does that work at Nose Creek Players? Yeah. So what we do is we we read scripts through kind of throughout the year. Oh, yeah, then, of yeah, course. Yeah. We come together, I'd say probably in about like April, February, and kind of decide what our season will look like. The next season. The next mm-hmm. season. Okay. And then we kind of all vote and decide what that will look like. And so, yeah, I think our board was pretty in favor of doing the pink unicorn i was in favor i love theater that provokes conversation like Mm -hmm. i think that's where you get real conversations and people thinking and that was one of the reasons why i wanted to direct the laramie project because i was like this is amazing and you know we did have questions from people saying like do you think people in the community will you know protest this and i just said let them i mean let them protest it right let's tell a story same with the pink unicorn mm-hmm. uh, with, you know with everything that's going on in the world right now you know people are asking us are you worried about protesters and i'm like let them protest. We're telling mm-hmm. a story regardless, right? So, yeah. yeah. So, Protesters are great. Yeah, you're it's allowed great. to pro- protest while Come you want. Protest Come protest. Come protest. generate even more interest Absolutely. in what's going on. I tell people all the time, protest, you have that right. Yeah. I, we also have a right to tell a story. Absolutely. And everyone has a right to be who they are. So when I read the script, I fell in love with Trisha Lee. I think she is just... Well, she's... When did you read the script? Probably around the same time, um, mm-hmm. 2019. And at that time, I didn't, you know, didn't think I wanted to be in the play. Right. Uh, and I don't think it was until, when did we do auditions? I can tell you when you did auditions. Oh, they yeah. happened on October the 6th, 2022. Okay, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so probably, yeah, it probably wasn't until like uh, like a few weeks before that I like reread it again. And I was just like, oh my God, I love Trisha Lee. She is just, while she's broken and funny, I think she really represents realism of what parents go through right and maybe not necessarily being fully christian but just the thought of like not understanding Mm -hmm. what this means and doing everything you can to want to support your child but also coming to terms with it yourself and how does this chair also change their life and what it comes through so her journey is just it's so beautiful so it sounds like this was a slam dunk Mm -hmm. yes from everybody you'd all read it and the two of you are fully on board with putting it up yeah who brought up the concerns that come with doing a show so soon after having done another show? Because I can see in your Facebook group that when you went and did the set 
uh, build and the set deck for your previous show, you also did the set deck for this show at the same time. Is that right? Is that what happened? Yep. Yeah. We, okay. We have a lovely uh, member of our theater community whose father owns this garage out in Crossfield. And so... And who is this person? Keegan Hassett right. and Jim Hassett are incredible supporters of Nose Creek Players. And Keegan Hassett is also the stage manager for The Pink Unicorn. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And so we thought, let's do... We planned these building weekends. And so right. it was not just... Alice in Wonderland, we were doing Pink Unicorn at the same time. So so we, did you do reversible flats or did you reuse the same flats? How much of the set deck from the previous show is involved in this show? From Alice in Pink? Yeah. Or, so they're separate. We reuse our flats every right. play. So but they're completely different sets. So yeah. they were separated. Nothing has been reused from Alice in Pink. So it's, so mm-hmm. which is what we talked about, you know, a now in hindsight, we're like, wow, this was a lot of work on our crew because it right. was like our prop master was Amanda Frost. Our prop master was doing props for Alice in Wonderland and then also for Pink. And wow. so it was a, it was a lot of crossover. And looking at it now, we were like, oh, that was a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And is your stage manager the same from the two shows? No, or? completely different stage managers. Oh, that's good. But, but who's the stage manager for Alice? So for Alice in Wonderland, it was Izzy Jones and April Stokes were our two stage managers for oh, nice. Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about giving opportunities, it was... Um, uh, they're both fairly new to stage managing. And so it was it was wonderful just to welcome them into our community. And they both did a great job of being yeah. a part of it. But sometimes it's nice to have an established stage manager. But yeah. sometimes it's nice to have a real new stage manager mm-hmm. because they bring so much more energy to yeah. the role that requires a lot of energy. Yeah. That maybe an established stage manager is like, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Smoking yeah, their cigarette. Again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, run it again. Your Let's lines are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I like to tell this story. So to talk about my table of shame. Oh, um, so Amanda Frost, who is the props master, is also my partner. And uh, <laughs> so <laughs> my house is filled with props, both props that have been sourced and found hither thither. But also Amanda is wonderfully creative and builds some some beautiful props. But we, we talk about our table of shame because it's just been covered with acrylic paints and papers and paper mache things and various prop paraphernalia. And it is challenging to have the two shows at once because we have so many people that are interested in being on stage. It can be, and historically this has been the case, challenging to find people that want to do all of the technical aspects of it. Yeah, I mean, once you find these wonderfully talented and creative people they love it yeah Yeah. for instance amanda started out with nose creek players on stage and then just wanted to help out with some of the technical aspects of it and just fell in love with the props but there is quite a bit of overlap uh, and it is challenging because you know the individuals that we have painting the set for both alice and for pink was taylor amanda burton was also the cheshire cat in alice in wonderland oh wow Mm -hmm. Right. So it's it's people just doing a multitude of roles, but it becomes very tiresome because you also have yeah. to work. Yeah. yeah. Do your day job. We also have real jobs that we have to do. No, it's true. I just recently finished directing Morpheus's Yeoman of the Guard. Mm-hmm. My first time directing anything ever. And I kept asking for a set decorator, a painter, a set painter especially. And we could not find anyone. They, they spent seven weeks trying to find someone who was willing to come in and take on the job. And when we finally had the set built, I just put the paint cans down in front of the cast and said, this is what I want you to paint. Now paint it. And I made my 26-person cast 
paint the set. <laughs> and then there was supposed to be this beautiful, I had an envisionment of this beautiful display, like a, one of those uh, great shots in the background sort of thing that you would see on those old timey 1920s paint movies and whatnot mm-hmm. to get further in and you see the whole thing and it's not just set by a, a brick wall or a black hanging curtain yeah. to, to segregate this into space and time. I said, I really want that to be painted, this sort of thing. And one of my castmates is like, I love painting. And I was like, would you like this challenge? And she's like, yes. So I get that yeah. when you find the people to paint, it's mm-hmm. so amazing how in community theater and in theater at large, it all just seems to come together mm-hmm. and the vision seems to happen. Yeah. Even if it's shifted slightly or it's a little bit different than you expected it to be, still a remarkable, miraculous thing exists in such an ephemeral small piece of time so Mm, well said that's pretty cool that you've got both sets being built and painted and designed all together and they're not even connected to each other like i would have been so i would have used so much at the same entrance exits points and let's make sure we get all of this so it's all the same but i guess they're so very different in Mm -hmm. the way that they're done tell me about uh, the pink unicorn what does it look like the set is in my garage right now, and uh, <laughs> we, we had Where is a, your car? <laughs> in the driveway. They're in the driveway. <laughs> Our child uh, will often say they know when it's production season because we'll be parked in the driveway and we won't be eating supper at the table. We'll be sitting <laughs> on the couch because oh my gosh. those areas aren't available. Yeah, so... Mandy and I had rehearsal uh, this morning. Rehearsal has been in my house. Oh, wow. So the idea we have for the show is that uh, Trisha Lee will be speaking to some guests at her house. So she's been continually on this journey, but the place she's at now, uh, she's sharing her story with some some other people within her community. Mm-hmm. So she has a couple people over because there's a line, well, I'm not a barbarian, so I've served coffee and cinnamon rolls. So we have her baking a pie to serve to her guests. So it works out all right because we just rehearse in my kitchen at the mm-hmm. island and then we can shuffle into the living room for the, the next part of it. So yeah, that's wow. back back to the roots of... Was that what the plan was to rehearse in? Sp- I mean, it's a one-person show, mm-hmm. so your blocking is largely in your head anyway until you get into the physical space. Yeah. And I think the thing with No Scary Players is we don't have an actual like rehearsal space. Like we don't have a space. And the difficulty with us is when we work at a Birch Church theater, the, the theater is shared with the high school. Right. So we can't move into our theater like the week before, like most people would do their sets the week before. Our sets have to be able to be taken down each night and right? moved off to the side. Oh my so, goodness. So we can't do these giant elaborate sets. So they have no. to be pretty simple. And so we've worked around that pretty mm-hmm. well. And so same with this, we're, we're performing this at the BGC in Airdrie. And so we can't move until the Thursday afternoon before the show. So the set looks just like a simple kitchen and beautiful. And during the whole play, I am making a pie the entire time because Robin's theory was, you know, it's American as apple pie. And so I'm part of my blocking is I'm literally making a pie the entire play. So are you good at making pie? I feel like I've become very good at making the pie, (laughs) except for last rehearsal. I forgot to make the pie. (laughs) I was like, you know, the first time you're off book and you don't have your like blocking on. Yeah. Just forgot to make the pie. I just was like, oh my God. Well, it's so (laughs) weird how as an actor, when you're rehearsing, you have the script in hand. And so you're doing your blocking, you have your script in hand. And then suddenly it's like, I'm off book or I'm trying to be off Mm -hmm. book. And suddenly 
everything falls out the window because suddenly this hand that was used yeah, to holding it, this thing is no longer holding anything. Yeah. Remarkably freeing. Yeah. So the sooner you can get off book, the better. But Absolutely. it is that weird day and you're like, whoa. Yeah. What do I this do? This hand that was holding a script is now free. <laughs> it's free. Well, and we were chatting about this as well because we're rehearsing in my home. And part of it, we're rehearsing in my living room. So the rehearsal that you were referring to the other day is we had, so myself, Keegan Hassett, the stage manager, Taylor Burton, who's doing our sound and is also going to be singing. Like on stage or yep. recorded or? No, we're going to have Taylor perform on stage at the end for the curtain call. Mm-hmm. So Taylor was there. Amanda Frost was there because she uh, is doing many different aspects and lives there. And so we could, if we wanted to, we could just reach out and maybe push Mandy to to where she needs to be. Uh, so <laughs> they, they were very close to me and it threw me, like it just threw me off. Right? I was like, they're all staring at me and they're like right here. Like it was just, it was an interesting. Is rehearsal. this your first time doing a one person show? Yes. Do you want to talk about that experience at all? Yeah, it's hard. It is really hard because you don't have that scene partner to, to, to play off of. And so when you're stuck, you know, when you're stuck in a moment and usually your scene partner is there. And it's just you on stage and you need to make yourself entertaining that people are going to want to sit there and listen to you for, you know, an hour and 20 minutes. And so it's like, how do you make yourself tell this story in a way that people are going to want to sit there and listen to you? So how do you do it? I feel like I've embodied Trisha Lee Mm -hmm. quite well. I think she's she's a funny character and she's got some like nuances about her. And I've just loved the process. Like it's been amazing. And I love her and I love the story. Robin's a fantastic director. It's been wonderful to work with Robin. What makes him so awesome to work with? He's just so understanding and caring. And he just he really helps you get to the the, like the the bottom of who this character is. And Mm. so there was a quite a few weeks of character development where we didn't even really get into the script it was just like let's let's focus on what this play is about who is trisha lee why are we telling this story and so it really helped me start to understand and even now he'll stop and he'll ask me questions to be like why are we saying this line like what does this mean what does this scene mean to you and what does it mean to trisha lee so it's not just memorizing lines it's it's really just getting to the depth of what the play is about and i think that's really helped get to help me get to know this character yeah because in Typical theater, you ha- you say your line, somebody else is reacting to that yeah. on the stage with yeah. you in this imaginative space, this yeah. creative world that you've developed together. Yeah. Or somebody's saying something and then you get to react to that thing. And that's the build that comes from acting. Yeah. And so I'm really interested in exploring and seeing what you do. Yeah all alone and so <laughs> by myself. Yeah. So do you push away the audience then as a result do you like what's your what's your aspirational goal here with this character my thought is that the audience is in my home and i'm telling them a story and so i am reacting off of them because i don't have that energy to build off of another uh, scene partner so the the audience is in my house basically is what i'm thinking and this is what i've thought is that they're in my backyard and i'm telling them a story and so they're my friends and then they're and I do, I do speak to the audience quite a bit. Oh, like yeah. I'm telling them the story. To. You have to, because so do I talk to you, right? And I know there'll be reactions that will come from the audience, and I know that will help me build more energy on stage as well. And mm-hmm. so... We've tried to shout at you quite a bit, like um, what yeah. the guests in your home might uh, say oh. to certain things, <laughs> yeah. just to, to give you that, that, that feel that of feeling. Yeah. Are you going to have that expectation of uh, audience response? Well, I told Robin, or? I'm like, if they're honest, respond. I need you to yell something. <laughs> because there's some things that, 
that Trisha Lee says that can be very like shocking, right? Like there, yeah. and and I just think it's who she is of trying to go through this process. But there are some. We all things, know that person. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Like this, what's remarkable about that person, I think, in this show is that that person goes from that place to a completely new place over the course of the yeah. show. Oh, That's absolutely. why we need to see the pink unicorn. That's yeah. why you should come out and see it. Yeah. Is because if you're already in the place that she's at at the end of the show, it's a great watch. Yeah. If you are at the position she is at the start of the show. Maybe it's going to give you something to think about when you go home, yeah. you mm-hmm. UCP electing schlub. So, <laughs> especially yes. in Airdrie. Oh, yeah. sorry, you sorry, everybody. people. <laughs> and in my writing, I'm in Lahid, so yeah. I'm not happy. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. What's interesting, too, it, once you unpack Trisha Lee a little bit, there's a lot of parts in the show that are can be quite humorous. Yeah. But if you look at where she is and and where that's coming from. We've had a lot of discussion about this, that we feel that Trisha Lee uses humor as as a mask to hide that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So it, it provides a really interesting layer as well, right? So it's the audience will laugh yeah. at things, but then also be like, oh, hmm, well, let me think about that for a moment. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting dynamic, or maybe people just laugh and enjoy themselves and yeah. go off. Yeah. I don't think they will. I think it'll happen both. There's mm-hmm. so many other reviews and so many things I've read about this production say that it is going to leave you crying and laughing at the same time. You yeah. should be shocked and giggling at the same mm-hmm. time. And that's a hard thing to achieve. Mm-hmm. And you said that she uses humor as a mask. And I always like to think about the fact that like, like there's this barbed wire fence that's keeping her reined in. And mm-hmm. I think in many ways she uses that humor as like a style, which is like an old cowboy hand would use to cross a barbed wire fence. It's a, a ladder mm-hmm. that you can fold in half that you can go over a barbed wire fence. You could probably jump it, but then you teach the horses to jump it too. So you have to use this style. It's called S-T-I-L-E. Yeah. I can't wait to see the show. But I think that she uses that humor as a style to get over the fence yeah. for herself to get out of this mm-hmm. ingrained pasture that she's found herself in. Maybe she's eaten the grass down to the roots. But I've, I've totally flogged that, uh, <laughs> that metaphor to death. It's a great analogy because I, I do talk about a style and a pasture in the play. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. That is hilarious. Have you read the script? <laughs> no, I've not read the oh, script. I'm like, are you saying my lines right now? <laughs> <laughs> I was all excited to drop the word style because it's a thing I've known since I was like a tiny little yeah. elementary school student. And like, it's in the play. Yeah, there's a point where... Let's talk about it where Pastor Dick, my pastor, basically talks about how the the queers are not allowed in the church. And Trisha Lee walks out of her church to a pasture over the style fence and she just... That is hilarious. In the field. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then you had to look up what this word meant because you're like, I don't know this word. I, I just asked Robin, I'm like, what's a style? Well, I, I, had, I had to look it up. I'm, <laughs> I'm from Cape Breton Island. <laughs> you talk about fishing. I can, you know, maybe uh, answer that. But yeah. I was like, a style? What's she climbing over? What is happening? That is hilarious. I, I will reveal. I didn't. I only knew it because Piers Anthony, the classic uh, sci-fi fantasy author from decades ago, when I was small, he had a character named Style uh, oh. because he was a farmhand, and that was the name he gave for himself oh. in the book Split Infinity. And oh. so he describes and defines exactly what it is. And I've always thought, what a beautiful metaphor that mm-hmm. is for crossing something mm-hmm. that you could jump. Yeah, yeah. you could jump it. But if you jump it, you show the horses how to do it. 
So you can't. I feel like I relate to Trisha Lee in that way too, because Mandy, as a person, I use humor to cover everything. Like, right. Because that's how I'm like, I'm awkward in serious situations. So yeah. I like cover with humor. So I like related to her on that level because I'm like, oh, I get that. Mm-hmm. I yeah. totally understand that. But yeah, I think that she's a good Southern woman. And so there's just a lot of things that she is very concerned about, more concerned about appearances of what would people think of her and her daughter than the actual what is her daughter who is her daughter now and what are they going through? Mm-hmm. We've got the board approval. We're going forward with the show. Pandemic happens. Come back. Okay, we need to get this going. It's going to be tight. We got Alice going up at the end of May and then this show three weeks later. So when was the first production meeting for this production? So I think what went really well with uh, Pink Unicorn is we had our team together just after auditions. Oh, um, so it's not until after October that you've got your team together. Well, we had some of the team yeah, um, yeah. Okay. that wanted to, to to work on it. So we, yeah. we had some initial conversations. Who's producing it? We are, Mandy and myself. As, and, as Robin points <laughs> and then does a little circle between himself and Mandy. We're like, producing it. I am. <laughs> uh, we are with Airdrie Pride. Okay, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I meant like who is the official producer on the show? Because this is usually not a great hat for the director or the star to mm-hmm. wear at the same time. There's so yeah. much behind the scenes stuff that has to be done. And as you already said, you have day jobs. Mm-hmm. Being the producer, just so many other things that you have to do and fingers in other pots. Uh, and that yet you're both doing that anyway? It's mm-hmm. Robin and I. Oh, wow. And I produced Alice. And so it was really hard because trying to focus on a one woman play and then you know producing our spring show it was we were were tired (laughs) you need need a you need to find a producer (laughs) yeah yeah we've talked about that just you know changing some things in in our in our process and um starting things way earlier like we've already Mm -hmm. talked about that for our next season well morpheus has an executive producer role now and that person manages the production as a overarching producer for all of the shows of the season and so that might be something you want to look Mm -hmm. for is somebody who's like okay we want you to be the producer and then you handle the marketing you handle the emailing you handle the interview go outs and you handle ticketing and you handle all of the other sundry tasks that need to be done to make a show happen i'm really glad that morpheus has figured that out because it was basically sean doing it for 20 years before he was like wait I'm doing too much. Yeah, that's kind of like, yeah, I think we kind of figured that out during this process <laughs> of the, the three weeks in between shows where we were like, this isn't sustainable, no. right? It, this is where we talked about our everyone being tired and so burned out, burned out. And so we had our production meeting for Alice in October, but for our spring shows, we don't start till later. And so right. we, no, that makes sense. But we've chatted about starting earlier. Yeah. Moving forward mm-hmm. to give our, our production team more time to, you know, especially our costuming, right? Trying to create costumes in four months can be a lot for like an 18 person cast. So it really is. So right now, yeah, it's Robin and I and um, the Pride Board, which um, they've been amazing to work with and very supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are actually performing for them next Wednesday for them to see the show before it opens. And yeah. We are going to be performing at the museum in Airdrie because we probably can't fit everyone into my living room. Yeah. So. And yeah, with this city getting rid of the not-for-profit rate, it's uh, it's hard for us to to really afford renting space to to yeah. do rehearsals and stuff. And so that's uh, that's our struggle in Airdrie quite a bit. Why do you think I got rid of it? Uh, it was a council vote, and yeah. Is it capitalism? Is that the end of the day? Is like probably 
it was just yeah i'm not sure why it was voted out um but the the theater did create a, a there's so a, for those people listening mm-hmm. what can we do about that should they be emailing their counselors to say hey you know this is something you've taken away and it is going to reduce the opportunity for community creation mm-hmm. not for profits help build community yeah email your counselor yeah it's a struggle we, mm-hmm. we deal with every day with the arts and airdry. Right. We constantly have to fight to, to show the importance of, hey, yeah, we might just be community theater. But when we are having these shows, you know, for Alice in Wonderland, one of our shows had over 230 people. Well, we're bringing tons of people into Calgary and they're stopping and they're eating at our restaurants. They're visiting, yep. you know, stopping at our stores and that's mm-hmm. bringing revenue in. Yep. But I just feel like we always constantly have to have that. That, that fight. With that being said, we have a tremendous relationship with the folks at uh, Burt Church Theatre. Oh yeah, they are uh, incredible. Who are incredibly supportive and really help us to... Um, but let's be fair. You don't want to have to take your set down every night after you've done the show. Mm-hmm. That's not a fair thing to do once you've loaded in for a production. Yeah, it's tough. And we've made it work. It's hard because the, like, the school gets the theater for a certain amount of time and then Birch Church Theater mm-hmm. gets it. And then we work with Birch Church Theater. They're just, they're so supportive of us and they do oh, anything absolutely. we can to support us. And we're so thankful of our relationship with mm-hmm. them. But yeah, it's it makes it a little difficult for us. Well, because years ago, we used to have to bring everything in mm-hmm. and bring everything out. Oh, yeah. wow. But now we've forged that relationship where we can just shuffle things into the wings and yeah. just make sure it's out of out of the way. And Kevin Goodyear, who is the performing arts teacher at Burt Church High School, has been incredibly supportive as well. So, you know, while while it definitely has its challenges, we've been able to build some relationships mm-hmm. wherein we can have some compromise and Yeah. But if you guys are going to continue to do multiple shows a year, you need mm-hmm. a rehearsal space as well. Yeah. And yes. that needs to be something that's that's looked at by your Airdrie City Council. That mm-hmm. needs to happen. And um, if the Calgary Flames can get over half of their their giant arena built for them on public funds, why can't a community theater company that's been around for 40 years in, in different forms mm-hmm. in, in Airdrie not get a rehearsal space. That's an excellent point. We I, are uh, we're the longest standing arts group in in Airdrie. Hey, you're one of the longest yeah. standing arts groups in Alberta. Yeah, yeah. You know there is some hope in Airdrie though mm-hmm. because we do have a, an arts council yeah. that's been established. So it's it's just sort of a burgeoning council right now, and they're looking to hire an executive director. And I, I think it's incredibly promising that there'll be that council that will be advocating and supporting arts in, in the city and working with council. So I, I'm hopeful yeah. that that will bear fruit. Better be delicious, big, heavy <laughs> fruit. Tropical, juicy fruit. Zava-sized avocados is really what it should be. <laughs> I'm not spoiling anything, did I? No. Okay, no? good. No. You don't even know what that reference meant, did you? No. Okay, good. I'm guessing you haven't watched Ted Lasso. No. Oh, not I just yet. finished season one. Oh, nice. Yeah, continue on. You, what I just said will not stick in your brain, so that'll be fine. Okay. And then, <laughs> at the, then when it happens, you'll be like, oh, "That's what Kyle said." That's so what he that's said. Great. And if you haven't seen it at all, you it's should watch Ted so Lasso. Good. It's one of the best explorations of modern masculinity mm-hmm. that I've ever seen. Oh, uh, in okay. in a you know commercialized public mm-hmm. millions of people watching it television show. That's great. So. We have auditions happen. You've mm-hmm. scheduled auditions October the 6th. Mm-hmm. How many days were auditions? How many people auditioned? Just one day. We had about eight people come in and audition and just some incredibly talented people come in. And it was, uh, so myself, Keegan Hassett, uh, they are the stage manager 
and uh, then Rianne, who's the president of the Airdrie Pride. Nice. We were the folks that were taking notes. I, I have a tendency to, um, I can be unnerving, I think, because I, I, I can stare very intently and then I stroke my beard and <laughs> I, it's probably unnerving. I would not want to audition Mandy for is me. nodding. Like, it's so creepy because he just, <laughs> just it's smiles. Like, and I know he doesn't try. You have a nice try. smile, Robin. He does. But when he's like staring at you intently and stroking his beard, it throws you off. I wish he could turn around when I audition in front of him because it's just. Then he, he wouldn't be auditioning in front of him anymore. So I know, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I don't think he realizes he does it, but it, yeah. Yep. It was a, a difficult decision as it's always the hardest part is, that, you know, you have those thoughts. I was like, oh, maybe if I cast a whole bunch of people and we could just do it a bunch of times with all these different people, it'd be really. That's nuts. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. I'm glad you kicked that thought to the curb. <laughs> could you imagine? Could you imagine doing it once? No. <laughs> That's hard. Yeah. To memorize like 36 pages and then just do it one night. That would yeah. be, be really difficult. But Mandy was uh, brilliant in her audition and was uh, the perfect person to, to cast in the role. And it was, we were all on the panel. We were unanimous in our decision to cast Mandy. Were you on the panel? Yeah, I cast myself. <laughs> I mean, I, that's one of the questions that I want to ask, like, because you are a pretty important figure with regards to inside Nose Creek players. Mm -hmm. You know, it's seven other people auditioning. And I don't doubt you're a phenomenal actress. I mean, I've seen a whole bunch of your accolades and there's a lot of respect with regards to your work. So no, no shade given there. Mm -hmm. But how do you how do you recognize like, hey, I'm about to cast myself. These other seven people, they were good. But there does come with the fact of like, she's dependable, she's reliable, mm -hmm. she's already producing the show, she's got a direct connected investment in it already, mm -hmm. and she's going to want it to succeed. Those elements come to play, right? She says that in jest. She she wasn't part of the, the casting process at oh, all. Oh, that's good. Yeah. No, no, Other I, than actually asking to be in the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I took a, I asked to take a step back. I didn't want to know about the, right. like, what they were thinking or anything like that. I wanted it to be a fair casting. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get the role because I deserved it. I didn't want to get the role because I was in Nose Creek Players. And yeah. I wanted to be the best person for the part. And but, but when you cast in community theater, a huge part of it doesn't come from the audition itself. Yeah. It comes from, can I trust this person mm -hmm. to do this work for free? Yeah. They're not getting paid. Mm -hmm. So how do I know that at the end of the day, you're going to treat this with the same respect and recognition and so when somebody new comes in mm -hmm. you've never interacted with before or never even met before sure they can wow you with the audition yeah but what's what's going to lead me to say yes to them because it's a risk and i mean i always want new people to come out and be part of things but there's a lot of new people coming into calgary and turning down supporting cast roles or turning down uh, smaller options because they really wanted that lead part. But mm -hmm. I don't know who you are. Yeah. I, I would love to cast you. And I know you said you did these things, but nobody's seen you. And I would love to take a chance, but I'm already taking a chance on several other elements and packs of this show. And it's one person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, the audience is only ever going to see you. doesn't matter how many other people are working behind the scenes. Yeah. So you made the right choice. Cast so. Mandy. Absolutely. When Absolutely. did rehearsal start? Just around November, December, we all got books beyond pronouns. There's uh, a writer in Airdrie who wrote about her journey as a parent of uh, a trans child. So we uh, 
we started off before any kind of scene work or script work discussing this book. So we, uh, we, we'd come like together. A little, little book club. A little we book would club. Read the chapters and then there'd be questions at the end. And so we would like really dull, dull, dulge into those questions mm-hmm. and really build her journey to hear her journey, mm-hmm. what it was like as a, having a transgender child. And then I think in February, we started full on with uh, rehearsals. Mm-hmm. How often do you rehearse? We were doing twice a week. So on, and we had to pick days that weren't other rehearsals. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so we had to work around Alice. And then now that Alice is done, we're we're doing like four or five days a week. Oh my gosh, rehearsals. you're really in deep. So, okay, yeah. we started in February, two rehearsals a week. Mm-hmm. How long are the rehearsals? Three hours? Three four hours. hours? Three, Three hours. hours, yeah. And so it's pretty tight and personal, right? It's mm-hmm. just you and the director. Yeah. And the stage managers coming to every rehearsal at this stage or not? I mean, would you really need them? Keegan, uh, both Keegan and Amanda were involved from the, the beginning in having the, the discussions and talking through the book and, and just reading the various chapters. And Amanda was at most of the rehearsals because it was in her house. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't have a choice. <laughs> yeah. She's at the table of shame, probably. The shame away. table, working away often. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was... Um, a really nice community of people delving into the, the the script, talking about, okay, so this part of Trisha Lee's journey relates to this part of the book. And then both Amanda and I could reflect on our own journeys. So there was a lot of that discussion, uh, which I think is, is I always like that, that table work because it really, uh, you can delve into uh, a script and you can really unpack some of those layers so mm-hmm. it becomes more than just sort of a surface portrayal of of a story have you directed any one woman or one person productions before i have not so how was this different for you i've heard mandy's take mm-hmm. on uh, how hard that is and how you didn't say it but i can feel it coming off you how exciting it is it is exciting yeah so how has this been different for you i think the first thing that was was different was just the density of this giant 36 pages this 36 page monologue really and i was like well how am i going to break it down into what do we rehearse like do we rehearse oh we'll just rehearse you know the second paragraph on page 14. Uh, part of the process early on was we sat down and just kind of established little scenes. And uh, one of the exercises was I had Mandy name the scenes. Uh, oh, nice. That was the first step. So then I, for me, it was, okay, so we're going to rehearse. So we've done all the work about, uh, you know, the beats and, you know, verbing everything up. But again, it was so much of what I appreciate about theater arts is the the relationships that you you establish. Right. That was incredibly hard because Trisha Lee is the only character in it. So we really had to try to establish that there was this other character involved, and that was the guests that were in Trisha Lee's home that oh, okay. she was telling her story to. So Keegan and I would often yell responses. Trisha Lee would say something and we'd yell something in response to, to give Mandy a little bit of that uh, back and forth. Mm-hmm. But I, I've really enjoyed the process. I've enjoyed just have supper and then the doorbell rings and folks are there for rehearsal. And That's cool. And it, it's had a real grassroots kind of feel to it, which kind of harkens back to Nose Creek Players early days. Mm-hmm. Have you found that you're able to get down to the minutia mm-hmm. of this more than you would in a even like a, an eight person cast? Some rehearsals <laughs> would be like, "Oh, 
geez, we've been having such in-depth conversations that uh, we haven't done any other work. <laughs> oh, wow. I think that's important though, right? It's to have those conversations. And now you're rehearsing five times a week leading Four up to, to the show. Yeah. And what are you excited for audiences to get to see? What is it that's exciting you to have this in front of a, a live audience bearing witness to this? For me, I think it's just such a relevant story right now. Mm-hmm. And and I think when you you watch the news and you see just some of the ignorance mm-hmm. that is out there, I, I feel I just want to see people come and be able to see someone that they can relate to uh, telling this story. A, a person that, you know, it's for Trisha Lee, it isn't as simple as Joe coming up to uh, her and saying, you know, mama, I'm, uh, I'm genderqueer, I'm pansexual. And Trisha Lee saying, oh, great. All right, let's go get a flag and yeah. you know, we'll fly that flag. And it's awesome because I think for many people, there's a journey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in reading that story, that book, Beyond Pronouns, it, it kind of walks through that journey. Yeah. And I think people need to realize that it's okay to to feel just all of the human emotions because it's an emotional journey. Yeah. And I want people to be able to recognize that in Trisha Lee's story. And I'm excited for people to to see that and maybe pause and and So see can I summarize relevance. that for you just yeah. to jump in? It seems like you're saying the mo- the thing you're most excited about is once the show is done running out to the front of the church, hiding behind some bushes and watching the faces of the people leave to see, you know, how many tear-streaked faces are there? What changes are there mm-hmm. on their expressions? What are they saying to each other? That's what you're looking for is that reaction that the visceral change that's going to come from having experienced mm-hmm. in what they did over the course of the show? I want people to leave, yeah, talking to each other. you want to watch other. them leaving. Yeah, I want to... I <laughs> Listen in on the conversations. That's what I did if after only we Laramie. Could. I stood in the foyer as people were leaving and like people were just talking like, and it was just different things like, oh, this would never happen in this day and da, 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 da. And like, I was just like, just uh, like what? but it was just cool to see that people were leaving and talking. Yeah. And I, I think that's what I love um, about this kind of theater. Is- so what is it you're looking forward for audiences to get to see? Uh, same thing, like just telling the story. And I think she's just a, a regular person, right? And coming out and the one part she talks about the future that she had already planned for her daughter and how now all of a sudden that was going to look really different. And I think yeah. that's what I've, I've known a few friends who have come out and that's what their parents have focused on was how their future was now going to be different. Yep. But it's still going to be okay. And I think it's just a beautiful story to tell. And mm-hmm. I'm just really excited that I, I've never got to be in a one woman play before. Mm-hmm. I got to work with an accent coach for the first time, which was really neat. And so I'm just really excited. For who was your accent it. coach? Our initial, uh, our initial, initial meeting was through zoom through zoom yeah and then she's coming back oh so she's not like a local person at she, all she or? is yes. and then she moved i believe she moved during the pandemic to scotland and mm-hmm. met her husband and had a had a child and then they just moved back to calgary and so she'll be we're bringing her back one more time just to come see the show and Oh, that's wonderful. So Anne-Marie Zach. And how we got into contact with her was through uh, Chelsea Restall, who is the artistic director of Torchlight. Yeah. Uh, and she, so she had worked. Can I just work- jump yeah. in there? I have a question for you. Torchlight's gone. They yeah. are, right? yeah. And yeah. it's very sad. But was there any talk between the two companies in Airdrie about amalgamating or about bridging together? And why not if there wasn't? Yeah, I... Because that felt so apropos, like... I'm not really sure what happened. I think their board decided to fold, and mm-hmm. I don't know that Chelsea wanted to 
continue with theater. Right. Um, Chelsea's a, um, she loves film and I think Absolutely. that's her passion. And so it just would have been great if you'd done an amalgamation, mm-hmm. you would have been able to take on assets and the history and longevity of Torchlight would have continued with Nose Creek. And that's fine. Even if no one is connected with it anymore, yeah. at least some of that, yeah. you would have been able to take on the history of their mm-hmm. productions and it would have given you even more cred with regards to yeah. um, rights in uh, Airdrie and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So very sad to see Torchlight go. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, yeah. we had the great fortune to be able to work with uh, Chelsea yeah, last year. We did a show yeah. for the uh, Regional One Act Festival and Mandy and Chelsea were the actors in it. A show called Trauma, which was about school shootings. A very talented artist in Airdrie, Chelsea. Yeah. Lovely lady. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you know about the show or you know happens in the show that audiences might not catch? or might not see. This is a little harder in a one-person show like this. Usually, like when it was Yeoman of the Guard, it was like I wanted people to notice this love affair that we had secretly behind the pages, you know, in the hidden lines, start to blossom and develop as the show progressed, Mm. and we wanted people to look for that. If they spotted that, it's like the Easter egg of the show. What is it that's interesting about the show that you think they might not catch? And someone listening to this podcast, well, they'll get that little inside piece and they'll go, (laughs) there it is right there. there." For me, the premise of of Trisha Lee baking an apple pie. I was going to say the same one. Yeah, uh, that's something. Because when I was thinking about American values and... Uh, Trisha Lee talks about in in the script and in the play about traditional American values. And I was thinking about what, for me, that represented. And I was thinking about as American as apple pie. So when we think about gender diversity, I mean, you look at the United States right now, it's certainly not something that would be considered an American value, mm-hmm. but it's a part of the community's tapestry, the the fabric of, of community. So I wanted to just take a, a twist on that idea of as American as apple pie, because gender diversity is a part of American society. So I, I wanted to kind of have a play on the, uh, the idea of the apple pie. And people may not necessarily get that they'll just be like oh she's making a pie yeah but i wanted that norman rockwell kind of feel to it it is a traditional family Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right it doesn't (sighs) yeah we're all in agreement why would you plays like this (laughs) right yeah Mm -hmm. so for me the thing that i think is really beautiful is the relationship with her brother and how it grows and it's kind of like a resemblance of i think what she thought Jolene's life would be her brother didn't turn out to be the same either and it's just this beautiful like relationship that I think blossoms and people might not really notice it but I think for me it's just been the most beautiful part of the play to talk about yeah and and I think when you see the play you might just oh this is this supplementary character Mm -hmm. uh, Trisha Lee's talking about her brother but it's all about her child and the journey there but the choices that Mandy's been making just has really created this solid foundation about the importance of family overall and, and how uh, the dynamics can be so so messy. And, and she's just really created this beautiful moment that when we were first looking at it, it wasn't necessarily something we were going to focus on. It's just something that uh, she's developed through the process. There are only going to be three opportunities to see this production. Yeah. You've done so much work, both of you, It sounds like for years in (laughs) thinking about this play, what this play is going to mean, and now the work that you've done, not only as producers for Nose Creek players, but also as the production team itself and then the performer on the stage. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm saying this to you guys, but I'm really saying this to the listener right now is that the people who listen to this need to come see this show. There's blood, sweat, and tears and a table of shame that has been put (laughs) together just for this show to exist in this small, minuscule time. Three times and then it'll all be torn down, never to be visited again. It's only going to exist for those who come to see it. I can't think of anything better this Pride Month if you're in Airdrie and the surrounding environs, especially if you're in Balzac, to come (laughs) and see the pink unicorn. Mm -hmm. Louis B. Hobson said that you have to come see it if only to know why it's called the pink unicorn and for that to have that emotional resonance for you when you leave the show. But I'm going to enjoin her to you that you need to come and see this show. Listen to the passion that these two people have spoken with. Listen to the effort that they have undertaken to put it forward. And please fill their audience with people, not only those who immediately understand what it's all about, but come to experience something new to give you a new perspective, especially if you have children that are questioning their gender and sexual identity. This is relevant to you especially if you're like i don't understand it but i guess i accept it that's a nice statement to have sort of made to your child uh they're they're going to be crushed that you just said it like that Mm -hmm. come and see the show so that you can understand it yeah these two people have worked very very hard Mm -hmm. it will be gone very very soon i hope you have packed houses thank you because it's such a small, small time that it's going to be there. Mm -hmm. What's interesting as well, if I may, Kyle, so Elise, the playwright, she's been amazing to deal with. Mm -hmm. I've never actually dealt with a a playwright that's so accessible. I had a question, fired off an email right away. There's a response. And she just wants this piece to be performed. Come see it. There is a talk back on June 18th, the very last show. Mm -hmm. I'm sad that it's the last show because I got to come see it opening night. That's kind of the thing I want to do. Mm-hmm. But I would love to bring my genderqueer child with me who's 15 and is the most remarkable person in my life. I'd love to bring them to it, but I'm going to go to for the talk back because they are loquacious and verbose. <laughs> I don't know where they get it from. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bring them opening night, but I don't doubt that they would love to be involved in the talk back on the 18th too. I look forward to seeing you on the stage, Mandy. Thank you. And thank you so much for coming and sharing your story. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Kyle. You have an Apple Watch, don't you? These four. Right. Drops, like the vibration because no, it no, goes this off. Didn't, that didn't matter. I just, you were just told to stand up, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> were you just told to stand yeah. up as well? Would it be Get weird that. if I just stood up right now? Yeah, I, was, I literally was like, Shh, no, watch you. Don't control me. Yeah, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have one. He's like, I don't know. You people yeah, are you know, weird. what is wrong with you? <laughs> so, when you get one, though. It'll tell you what to do. It tells you everything. I used, back in the day, I used to have like a Palm Pilot and, mm. you know, oh, I wore cool. my phone on my belt and yeah. I thought I was really technologically savvy, but then sort of some years passed by and and I've fallen behind. A lot of behind. A lot of, yeah. There's just, just an age you hit 
um, and, and you're lucky you have small children, they will bring you, they will catch you up to speed mm-hmm. until they leave the home. And then once they leave the home, you're like, oh no, I'm set adrift. And this is the technological advancement I'm going to be <laughs> at for the rest of my life. Oh, that's where I am. Yeah. Charlie's, my child's at university. Oh, there you go. That's why yeah. you're set adrift. I'm so sorry, Robin, you've been left behind. Yeah. And I'm, that's not really my jam. I, I know I'm, I have some skills elsewhere, right. but uh, yeah technology not my thing but it used to be it used to be the palm pilot i that's, could rock I, the palm pilot <laughs> i'm not kidding you that's <laughs> just the way it is like my grandmother to throw this and keep this ongoing um my grandmother always was to ask like why don't the why doesn't the radio not go well when a duck flies through the radio waves like i don't understand that and i was like because the radio waves pass through the duck grandma <laughs> and my grandma's like what? And her eyes widen and she looks all, all afraid. Like, is that happening to me too? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I always think, okay, that's going to happen to me at some point. Yep. And I know it's getting closer. And then it's already happened to Robin. Okay. All right. Back to. Yes. 